0: Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Basin Church Podcast. Our mission here is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus. And we hope this content will inspire you to find hope or even take your next step on your journey towards wholeness. Anything that people want to do is they want to get surveys and they want to get feedback on, your, on their customer service. Now I just purchased some um items at a store and the next thing i know is in my email i get hey will you give me this this survey will you help me or help us give customer satisfaction and customer feedback now how many of you you don't have to raise your hands but how many of us really give customer feedback unless you have a bad time you're not really going to give customer feedback are you and if you go to the grocery store i know this if if they say hey if you want to win a survey and and what you do is is they they tend to give you the survey and what do they do? They circle it because they want to know how you're you're satisfied. How well are we doing? How well are we doing as a company? How well are we doing in serving our customers? Now here's the the reality. If you want to give feedback, there is a way to give feedback. And maybe you've heard of this. It's called the compliment sandwich. No, maybe okay. So up here on the screen, I have it. I have my burger. It's not my sandwich. But here's what you do when you're trying to give someone feedback or you're trying in the workplace, and this is where it all originated from. If you're giving somebody feedback, you want to give them a positive feedback first, then you constructively criticize what they've done wrong, and then you give them positive feedback. Now, let me tell you why this doesn't work. For one, if you're a person who is sitting there and you're getting the feedback, here's what I know to be true if you are someone who is a half-full glass type of person and you're happy and everything's good, you're not going to see the constructive criticism. You are just going to see the positive feedback. So what is really supposed to happen is you're supposed to adjust the way you're working and your environment and take the constructive criticism. But if you're like one of these people that always sees the glass half-full, you're not going to see that. You're just going to see the positive feedback of what you did right. Now, on the other hand, here's why it doesn't work. Because if you're anything like me, you you care less about the positive feedback. Yeah, positive feedback's great, but really what you center on and focus on is what? The constructive criticism. Because you want to get better, and I want to get better. So if you're anything like me, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I want to give you positive feedback, and I want you... And then they constructively criticize, what is going to happen is... I'm not going to listen to another word they say. So you can sandwich me with positive and positive, but what I'm going to focus on is on the constructive criticism. And I'm so focused on that, that I don't hear another word that you're going to say. And I'm going to walk out of there so focused on that because I want to get better. And maybe that's you. So this way of giving feedback to people with this positive, constructive, positive does not work. And here's why it doesn't work because um, really, no one wants to know about their flaws and their imperfections. But really, what happens is, is, is in life, we all look at our flaws and we always look at our imperfections, don't we? And when you're, you're a kid, and even into your adulthood, people are always telling you what's wrong with you. They're always looking at your weaknesses. They're always looking at your your faults and your imperfections. Now, just follow me here. Middle school is a rough age. And when you're in middle school and you go back to middle school, right, they point out your imperfections like nobody else do, don't they? And not only so do they do that, but they harp on you and they let you know every single day that what? You begin to believe it. You begin to believe that there's something wrong with the way you dress. You believe that there's something wrong with the way you look. And you go uh, through life going, well, if I wish I had, and fill in the blank. Or I wish I would, and it doesn't matter what it is. So we go with these imperfections that people are doing. Now, here's the, the thing. When you get to adulthood, it doesn't stop. Right? When you get to adulthood and you're in the workforce, people talk about your imperfections, don't they? They talk about what's wrong with you and your weaknesses behind your back. What's wrong with that employee? What's wrong with this person? What's wrong with that? They don't tell you to their face, they tell you behind your back, and they tie it tie it and tie it all in the form of gossip. So is it any wonder why we focus on our imperfections? See, but here's the way we live life. We live life with this. Knowing that we're imperfect people, we try to live and show a perfect life. If you don't believe me, look at your friend's social media profile pic with all the filters they got going on. Right? And, and any social media where someone tries to portray a different lifestyle than they're really living. And see, we know that there's people in our culture, there's famous people, there's people that, that we personally know that live like this. See, there's a standard in life. There's a standard we know that we have to achieve. There's a goal. And and so we try to achieve that goal. And even though we're imperfect, we're trying to achieve it. And here's what I mean. We try to dress a certain way. We try to look a certain way, what we drive. People judge us on what we drive and where we live. So we go through this, this idea that we have to live up to this certain standard. Even though we know We have flaws. Even though we have imperfections, we're going to portray something differently. So we go through life trying to live our reality, even if it's not the truth, trying to live this way, and yet, in the same sentence, trying to hide our flaws and our imperfections. But here's what what has happened. There's this attitude that we live by, and that adjustment that we live by, and it comes all in the form, and then it did my bad. That this attitude of living and, and trying to suppress your, your imperfections has, has infiltrated the church. And here's what I mean by that. We come to church and we don't want anyone to know who we really are or what's going on in our life. See, there's an image that we have to project. Somehow we feel that we have to come to church and, and basically put up this facade. Or that we have to put on this smile, even if things aren't good. Now let me tell you this I am no different from anybody else. There are times when my Saturday night is rough. There are times when I argue with my spouse right before church. There are times when my kids don't even listen right before church. Right? And you're in the same, you're in the same boat. You could have a rough Saturday night, <clears throat> excuse me. You could have a rough Saturday night. You could have a fight with your spouse or your kids before church. You could have a horrible week. But as soon as we get in this building, what do we do? We put on a smile. And we act like everything's okay. When in fact, it's really not okay. So we try to look and, and, and perceive this perfect lifestyle when we're really not okay. But is that any way to live? And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, in our hearts and our minds, we would say what? No. It's not a way to live. So we're starting this this series, and I'm starting this, and it's called DNA. And when you think of DNA, DNA basically makes you unique. It it gives you the design, the function, the the reproduce things. Everything your DNA is made up. It makes you uniquely you. So when you talk about the church, and you talk about the church's DNA, you say, okay, so what makes the church unique? The church. And then, if I take it a step further, I would say this: What makes Basin Church? Basin Church. So, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what is our DNA. Who are we, and and what are we all about here? So, we're going to discuss that. But before we get there, let me let me just tell you this: um, When you talk about Christians and you talk about the church, see the church in the beginning, uh, when it, when the inception of the church, the church was not known by its flaws and the church was not known by its imperfections and nor did men and women who began the inception of the church live by their flaws or their insecurities or their imperfections okay so when it comes to the, uh, the inception of the church in the book of acts and in the book of acts here's what it says i'll get there in a second but let me tell you this but the christians were known for who they followed and so what happened was that Stephen begins he, he gets martyred by Saul who eventually turns Paul but he gets martyred he's the first martyr and once he does that the church got scared and so the church and I'm meaning the people the group of individuals they begin to run to different cities they begin to gather to different cities and as they gather to different cities they would begin to teach other Jews and so they would settle down teaching each other and, and teaching Jews. And then not only that, but there was one particular city called Antioch where these believers settled, but there wasn't really any Jewish people there. So what they had to do was they begin to teach the Greeks. Well, now there was a hub of where the church was coming out, and the hub was Jerusalem. So word gets back to Jerusalem, and they send forth by name of Barnabas. So they want Barnabas to come to this place of Antioch, and come check out and see and begin to teach these believers, these new converts, these Greeks that are coming to know Jesus. So here's what happens in Acts chapter 11. You can throw it up on the screen. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. If you can throw it up there, Luke. Follow me because I don't have my Bible here. All right, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him... He brought him to where? The city of Antioch. So it says this, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now look what it says. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So they're called Christians. Now you can see this, that Barnabas comes, and again it's Saul's there, and he got an issue with Saul. But you see that they begin to teach each other in the ways of following jesus and they begin to teach and develop them for over a whole year so as they as they do this what takes place is they begin to disciple these men now here's the thing when they're gathering they don't call themselves christians when they're gathering they call themselves what disciples they're followers of jesus Who called them Christians were people who were on the outside because of who they followed. They didn't know what to call them, but they knew that they resembled Jesus. And if they resembled Jesus, they said, well, we don't know what to call them. They just followed Jesus Christ. So we're just going to call them Christians. That they're little Christ. They are, they, you know, a mirror what Jesus did and what he said and what he taught. So they begin to call them Christians. Now, here's the thing. We aren't always known by that these days. The church is known by many things. And sometimes the church is known for its flaws and its imperfections, and sometimes the church is known for its hypocrisy and its judgmentalism. but Paul says we can live differently, and here's why we can live differently it's because of something that happened years ago so in Romans chapter six, chapter five verse six it says it says this and go ahead, throw it up on the screen it says that we it says you see at just the right time that when we're still powerless christ died for the ungodly so at the right time so god appointed at the right time for the world and for all humankind so at his perfect time which was set perfectly for the world and for man he begins to do something so man is at this point and so what what god does is you got to understand from the new testament to the old testament is just not you know how you read a story and it just continues on? Well, I want you to think in terms of this. From the New Testament, or Old Testament to the New Testament, there is kind of a pause. So what you have to understand is, oh, look at you. You're so great. Thank you. Perfect. And so he comes and he pauses. And God doesn't talk for 400 years. Okay? So he doesn't talk for 400 years. So, imagine he stops in in the last part of Malachi. doesn't say a word, and then he he begins to talk what does he say? He talks to an angel and says there's going to be a baby that's going to be born, and this baby's going to grow up to be a man, and this man is going to what deliver the world from its sins It's going to bring wholeness that he is going to bring wholeness in the relationship with the world so excuse me, so what happens? is that not only is this message and this good news of bringing wholeness to the rest of humankind at that particular time, but it is for throughout generations, throughout eternity, throughout our lifetime. Because we are helpless, right? We are helpless without God. And when he talks about powerless, he means this, that you can't do anything without God. There's nothing you or I can do that will please God. So he says, just at the right time, God begins to, at his perfect timing, begins to bring Jesus for the powerless, the ones that can't do anything on their own. So we can't do anything relationally without without him. So what I want you to understand is there's two ways of thinking this. There's conditional impossibilities and there's impossible possibilities. Now what do I mean by that? Well, conditional means this. Conditional means in order for you to obtain something or achieve something, something else has to happen. So for example, if you're trying to pass class or get your C so you can go on to the next grade and get your 70 plus and you're not doing a good job, you need the teacher's help. So either you need to have the teacher have grace on you or you need extra credit because if you don't get extra credit or you don't have grace from the teacher, you're not passing that, correct? If you want, here's the other thing, if you want to be a professional sports person and you want to go play football or whatever, what do you need? You need someone to draft you. It's not going to happen on its own. And the other thing is if you want to pay off your house with cash, you've got to win the lottery, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. So you've got to have, there's a condition that if I want to obtain something, something else has to happen. But here's the thing. That's not with God. It's an impossible condition that literally you can't do anything without him. So you can't have a relationship with him. So what you have to understand is that we were spiritually dead, that we weren't even open to the things of God. We couldn't even see Jesus. We couldn't even see the kingdom of God. We couldn't even understand things spiritually. And that's what he means by powerless. So because it's almost like a little baby, you know, a baby can't do anything on its own. And it needs someone else. So what what God did was we were powerless. We can't do anything on our own. And he begins to send at the right time, sends Jesus. And then he also says the word ungodly. In Romans chapter 5, he says, he says Christ died for the ungodly. Now here's the thing about the ungodly. The ungodly are people who are directly opposed to God and the things and the ways of God. And what I mean by that is they are in direct rebellion of God. So they don't want... His divine authority over their lives. They don't want His sovereignty over His lives. They want to do what they want to do, and they want their freedom. See, some people believe that God has all these rules and regulations, and God is not a God of rules. Okay, and you're like, what? He's not a God of rules? Well, let me back it up. How many rules did He have in the Garden of Eden? One. One. Don't eat from the tree of the good and evil, right? But they obviously... Mess that up. But here's what you gotta understand. So he's not that. So people think that if I come to God, then I've got to obey and I gotta shift and I gotta do all these things. So they're in direct disobedience of God. That's the ungodly art. Now think about it in terms of this. Okay? We've all we've all been kids and you've all been in this place. And we've all been in the place where we don't want to follow our parents' rules, correct? Because we think our parents don't know anything. And we know what is best for us, especially when you're a teenager. And if you're anything like me, you thought about running away, but you didn't get very far, right? It's like, oh, I got down to the street. Oh, okay, it's not going to work. But anyways, you, so you say, and you have this conflict with your parents, well, mom and dad, I don't like your rules. And what do your parents say? Well, it's my house under my roof. You'll obey my law and my rules until you turn 18. And when you're 18 and you can go get a job and you can go leave and you can do whatever you want, Right. And so we have this idea that we think that it's better to live outside the authority of our parents because we want freedom. And what happens? We grow up and we go, man, can I just be a kid again? There's too much responsibility. There's too much stuff and, that I don't want to take part in. So we realize that as we grow up, it's not worth it. But here's that. I say that all this because of, of this I want you to grasp. That is the ungodly. So, when you think that your rules and your ways are better than the authority above you, then you're directly opposed to the things of god. But here's the great thing about God: it says that he loved those and he died for those who were in direct opposition to him and Then, what Paul would say is he he gives this contrast in the next in the next uh Verse in verse 7 he says this, but very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. So he gives us two. You would die for a righteous person, you die for a good person. Righteous person, we can understand that, right? Because some of us in here would die for a best friend, we die for a family member, we die for a spouse, we die for someone who is close to us. And righteous here is someone with exceptional character. But when he says, well, they might die for somebody good as well. And good is somebody who is not only exceptional character, but they benefit society. So they're good. They're just a good person. And he says, some of us would would do that. Very rarely that we would we die for someone like that. Now think about this. So very rarely will we die for someone who it's worth. But he says, Jesus died for us so that we could live. I mean, I don't know anybody who would want to give up their life for someone who it's not worth. But what Jesus did and what Paul says is, yes, someone might die for someone righteous, but Jesus died for someone who is unrighteous. Jesus died for someone who was opposed to him. And yet he still loved us enough. And and here's what Paul says, and he goes even a little further, because he talks about God's love and our love. See, when you die for someone, here's what you got to understand. If I was to die for you, if I was to take a bullet for you now, you got to understand this, that I am showing the highest love and devotion. The highest expression of human love and devotion for you. So I am willing to do what it takes to save your life. Now, what he says about Jesus is he shows us, and Jesus goes beyond human love and devotion. And here's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what Jesus did is when he died, he transcended all human love and devotion that the world had ever seen. So he died showing the world that his love transcended your love or your devotion. Yeah, you think it's okay to die for someone else who's close to you? Well, I died for people who were opposed to me. And so you have this idea that they can't do anything, the powerless, they can't do anything on their own. The ungodly who are totally rebelling. And then he says he dies for sinners. And sinners are anyone who breaks the law of God. Anyone who has missed the mark, anyone who has missed his standard, and we all. And Paul says it before, what? He says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of God's standard. Now think about this. You and I have done this. Because if someone would say, hey, have you kept the Lord's commandments? Not really. Think about the first one, right? Worship the Lord and the Lord and himself only. Now, if you're honest with yourself, we would say, we've broken that, haven't we? Because there are things that get in the way of our devotion to our Heavenly Father, right? There are things that we put sometimes above Him. And so, the other thing that that God says, or Jesus says, excuse me, in in the New Testament, He says, to love your neighbor as yourself. He tells us to love one another. Now, and if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, I don't think we've done a great job of that. That there's sometimes that I don't treat people the way Jesus loved me. I don't treat people correct. I, matter of fact, might treat them poorly. So anybody who has broken God's law, which is you and me and everyone in this entire world, he says he has died for them as well. <clears throat> so as he begins to talk about this and sum up this whole thing, Paul would say this to you and to me and as a church, he would say that God poured out his love, his perfect love for what? Imperfect people. God poured out his perfect love for imperfect people, for you, for me, and for the rest of the world. And that Jesus did something that none of us can even think or imagine. Die for someone who's against you. Die for someone who can't do anything on their own die for someone who's in rebellion why would i die for a bad person and yet jesus does and because jesus died for you and i and for the rest of the world we can live differently now here's what i here's what i want you to understand we can live differently because christ loved us and he died for us so we can come to him as we are and we can be real with him now let me let me just be honest with you You can come through these doors and have a facade. But you don't need to have it up. Because God knows really what you're going through. And you can come through these doors and you can say, Yeah, my life's really great. And you can put this fake smile on your face. But God really knows what's going on. You're not fooling him. And so he wants you to be real because he died for imperfect people like you and I. And see, Jesus Jesus did that. And what God wants you to understand... It's okay to be like that. It's okay to go through life and have issues and have problems. But here's the thing about God. He doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to live differently. And then when you're talking about coming to him and being real and, and honest with him, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about this word Authenticity. And this is the one thing that if you're going to talk about DNA of Basin Church, we are going to be authentic people. And authenticity is this. It enables us to come and be real with God. It says this, that God, I have these, I have these issues. I have these problems. But here's what I know. Because I can be authentic, it enables me to come to you in a real and personal way. And so, God, what's going to happen is, is I know what you have done for me. I know what was made wrong, you made right. And here's the great thing about Jesus. He didn't wait for you and I to take the first step, did he? He initiated the first step by a pure act of grace that we may be close to him. So it enables us to come to and have a relationship with him. Now, some of us, here's what we do. We buy into this lie That my past hinders me from getting into a relationship, a right relationship with Jesus. And I'm not good enough and I'm disqualified to follow Jesus. Because if we sat down, you wouldn't really be honest with your life with me because you feel like it disqualifies you. And so if you won't be real, then you're not going to be real with the Lord. And you feel like, God, I'm disqualified from being all that I can be. I'm disqualified from being real with you. Listen to me. That is a lie. Because Jesus died for imperfect people. And if you look at the scripture, did Jesus ask people to follow him who had their lives together? No. Here's the thing about Jewish rabbis and and becoming a rabbi and following a teacher. If you wanted to become a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish teacher, you had to start at a very young age. And then if you passed that age, what would happen? You had no opportunity and no chance to follow a rabbi. But that's not Jesus. Jesus comes to men who are way beyond the age and he says what? Follow me and they're disqualified by their age because that's not how it was, but they're also disqualified by their jobs. Think about this. They're tax collectors. They're hated like prostitutes. You got fishermen. You think if I'm going to start a church, I'm going to get fishermen? Are you kidding me? That's not Jesus. See, but they're not disqualified. So Jesus begins, he takes these tax collectors, he takes these fishermen, people who weren't qualified by their occupation and weren't uh, qualified by their age. And he said, I'm going to do something great through you. I'm going to begin to start the church and begin to move. And see, they weren't disqualified because of their past or where they were. Even though they weren't positioned to do what he wanted them to do, he just said, follow me. And so maybe you're at this place and you're thinking you're disqualified to follow Jesus with everything within you. Or maybe you're disqualified because you can't start a relationship with him because your past disqualifies you. It doesn't disqualify you. God begins to qualify you by what he did on the cross. And he says, follow me. I want a relationship with you. I want to make it right. And I want to be all that you can be, so just follow. And here's the other thing maybe you've been in a relationship you know you know that and you've walked with god you've talked to them but here's the the thing that i want you to become if we're talking about being authentic people i want you to know this that you can be authentic with your prayers see i can i can come to god and be authentic in my relationship and my life's not good but i need to be authentic in my prayer life see because i think sometimes we come to to god and we just go I hope. God, can you just, I just hope. Right, we pray for others or we pray for ourselves and we just have this kind of like, I hope this works. But you know what God wants? He wants you to be real. God knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling, believe it or not. And when you look at the Old Testament or you look at the New Testament, if you look at anybody who poured out their heart to God, they poured out their emotions. God, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. God, why haven't you given me a son? Why is my womb closed? Elijah, why don't you just kill me? I'm not even worth living. And these people were real with God. And what he wants from you is he wants that real emotion. That you can come to the Lord and you can be open and honest with him. See, because he died on the cross and he knows you're imperfect and you're going through a tough time, Look, we can come to God and say this, God, I am frustrated, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm worried, I'm fearful. And you can begin to pour out your life before the Lord. You know, it says in Hebrews that you can come boldly before the throne because of what Jesus has done. And you can come boldly to Him and say, Lord, this is what I need, this is what I'm going through, can you help me? And you can cry out to Him. And I believe you become authentic to the Lord, but here's the other thing. Not only do you become authentic and real and, and talk about what you're going through or what you're dealing with, but I believe you also expect him to answer and expect him to do something. Not just, could you hope and God, would you? No, Lord, this is what I'm going through. This is what your word says. This is what I'm going to be real. And Lord, would you do something in my life? That's when you're just open and honest with God and open and honest with your prayer life. And here's the other thing. Because of God's love, you can be authentic with other people. You can be authentic with other people. Now, here's what you have to understand. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say that I'm going through a hard time in life. It's okay to be honest it's okay to take the facade down to wipe the smile off the face and get real because Jesus died for imperfect people and so what we can we can do is we can be honest and open with other people look believe it or not people including myself know what it's like going through something and some of you have gone to this place and and you're in a hard time right now and you would say that it is like living you know what and I'm having a hard time guess what you need to be open and honest with somebody now this is this is what's gonna happen it's going to it, it's gonna take some time because you're gonna have to trust that person and it might be a little scary but you have to understand this that on authenticity if you're gonna be authentic if we are if our DNA is to be authentic people then you're gonna have to learn to be open and honest with somebody or a group of individuals now, I know that's scary. It's very scary because you, first of all, you've got to develop trust. I've got to develop trust not only in who I talk to, but what I can share. Right? So, and in, in here's, can I just tell you from a man's perspective, it's super scary. Because men don't like to be in touch with their feelings. And men, what we tend to do is we tend to pretend that we have everything together, even if we don't. We don't want our spouse or anyone, if we're in a situation, to know we're scared. We don't want anyone to see us cry, although I've cried many times up here. (laughs) Uh, We don't want people to see that we've cried. See, men don't want people to see their weakness. We're supposed to be brave and courageous, and nothing's supposed to rattle us. Because if if we let someone in and we let someone know how we're really doing, it's like you know the, the old times when they had knights, and we, we would begin to show people that we have chinks in our armor that there's weaknesses in us, And so men have a hard time being open and honest with somebody else. But let me tell you this: there's nothing further than the truth than to be the authentic with somebody else or with a group of people Now. Let me just share an experience of mine that happened years ago. My wife and I were were first married, probably a year into it, no kids. Friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, who we we're still friends, we still talk on, on occasion, and he started this um kind of this group, this you call it a Bible study group in his house, and um, the Bible study was about this it was about the five love languages. I don't know if you've ever heard the five love languages or not by Gary Chapman, but it's a book saying that each person um, receives love a certain way and each person gives love a certain way. Well, this was news to me. And uh, I've always craved to do life together with somebody. And uh, he said, yeah, we're gonna do it with these certain amount of couples, but I think it was like three or four couples. And we're gonna have it at my house on certain nights. We didn't have any kids, so I was like, okay, let's do it. But can I tell you what? I'm scared, spitless. You want me to share my feelings in front of four or five other guys and women, like married couples? Nah. And I went. I went with apprehension the first time. And uh, But I, here's the thing. I remember going for six months or however long we went, six months to a year, and I learned something about myself. I learned how I receive love. I learned how I give love. I learned. I had to be open and honest with my failures and how I was missing the mark of loving my wife and the same with her. But here's the great thing about going through that. I did life together with them and we became kind of a a tight knit group. And since then we've all moved on. But I remember that we prayed for each other. It wasn't just, Hey, we're here for a married thing. It's, Hey, how's your life going? And can I tell you the hardest thing is to be honest with how life's going. When it's not going well, and I've got to tell three other guys and three other women that, man, it's not really going well. Man, I missed the mark of love of my wife. I'm totally missing it. But here's the thing. Did I walk in there? Excuse me. Did I walk in there scared? Yes. Did I walk out changed? Yes. Would I do it all over again? Yes. See, I can go back to that, and that was a, a mark in my life, sharing and being honest with someone where the Lord began to grow me and to grow our marriage. Something happens when you're real with people, you do life together, and they say, I'm going to pray for you. I remember, and this is the, the funny thing, this is just a side note, there was one girl who got pregnant. And so we she had a hard time with her pregnancy. She had a tough time. So what did we do? We kept praying for her because every time we met, She'd get up and just go to the bathroom and start throwing throwing up. But, I mean, we got deep from praying for, hey, I hope you have a healthy baby, to marriages, to how's your, your relationship with your parents, to different aspects and different things in that group. But something happened. We grew spiritually. And if we're going to be authentic people, that's what's going to happen. We're going to begin to grow like we've never grown before in the Lord. See, and here's what happens. The Lord wants you to grow. I want you to grow. And there's two things that happen when you grow. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this. That when you grow, it's going to take time. The redwoods did not grow overnight. Plants don't grow overnight. You're not going to grow overnight. I don't grow overnight. It takes time. Right? When I plant something, it, you got to water it, water it, and then it will eventually grow so it's not a sprint it's a marathon here's the next thing it's going to stretch you when you grow it's going to stretch you now imagine this you've all had growing pains right or if you haven't they're very very painful it's your you're your stretching can i tell you this that when you stretch not only physically but you're going to stretch spiritually it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to be honest with someone. It's going to be tough to let someone know that you're not okay. It's going to be tough to let someone know that you walked through these doors on a Sunday morning and Saturday night was rough. It's going to be hard to trust and be open, and honest with you, with somebody. But that's what the Lord wants. So when you talk about our DNA, when you talk about who we are and what makes us up, that's the first thing that makes this body based in church it is our going to be our authenticity with one another and our authenticity with the lord and so my goal is over as the fall starts is we're going to start a group and then we're going to launch into groups where real people come where real life happens and we do life together and we grow together as a group And so we'll begin to do that. And, you know, despite our imperfections, despite our flaws, we're going to be a body and a community that trusts each other, that can pray for one another, that can lift each other up and walk through life together. And the only reason we can do that and the only reason we're here and that's one part of who we are, it's because God poured out His perfect love for imperfect people. And that's why we can be real with one another. And that is going to be a step into bringing hope and wholeness to our lives. See, because look, you can't be whole unless you're broken. You can't have grace unless you have a mess. And we are at the core, all of us are broken at some point, And all of us are a mess at some point. But God wants to do something in our lives As we become authentic with one another and authentic with Him. Because again, He poured out His love for imperfect people.